Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it gives um, us to, to live uh, a godly life, the life that you suggest, the life that you choose for us. Lord, I pray that you would humble our hearts, that we would receive uh, your words today. Um, <laughs> first glance, it appears so negative, Lord, but we know that sometimes you, you speak <laughs> negatively uh, or rebuke us or uh, the people you're talking to to to, to teach us positive things. And Lord, I just pray that we would learn from this text, that we would recognize uh, that this is for us. And pray that you would speak to us individually as to, as to what is supposed to apply to us personally so that we can make those changes and give those character flaws to you so that we can grow, become more like you. So I pray that your spirit would move in power in each of our hearts. In your name, amen. All right. Uh, so if you recall, Jesus has had quite a few confrontations with the religious leaders, right? Specifically the Pharisees. And there was that ordeal that he had where they questioned his authority and he gave those parables teaching them. In other words, that they're ultimately questioning God's authority. And then he has another encounter with them where they're trying to plot against them. And they ask him this really difficult question, right? Uh, should we pay taxes, taxes to Caesar? They're trying to stump them. They're trying to trap them. And Jesus comes up with this super creative, powerful answer. And he says, give to Caesar what Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Why? Because he was trying to lead the Pharisees to the truth, to the understanding that they haven't surrendered their lives to God. They're still holding their lives in their own hands. And the Lord wanted them to reveal, uh, to, to recognize that he is their God. God. And we talked about surrendering to our maker. And then last week we see Jesus first had a conversation with the Sadducees and the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. And what Jesus did uh, was he corrected their false beliefs and he took them back to, uh, uh, to the Old Testament and proved to them that the resurrection is true, that angels are real. And then along the same lines, he has another confrontation with the Pharisees and he tries to correct their false beliefs. Why? They had false beliefs concerning the Messiah. They said, yes, he's the son of David. That's true, but that's just a partial truth. He wasn't just of the lineage of David. He just wasn't the son of David. He would be the son of God. He truly would be God in the flesh. So we discussed how the word of God frames our world. What we believe about the word of God frames the world that we live in, at least how we perceive it. So Jesus was trying to get these truths across to the Pharisees because, and the Sadducees because he wanted them to see the truth of the world that they lived in. He didn't want them to live in these lies and assume these things that simply weren't true. Now, primarily, as I mentioned, most of his confrontations lately have been with the Pharisees. Okay, but this is intentional on the Lord's part. See, all of these confrontations are building up ultimately to the cross, but they're building up to this text that we're going to get into in Matthew chapter 23. See, Jesus is going to get one of his greatest lessons across to his followers. He wants to teach them what not to become. The title of this teaching is, Don't Be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. Like, duh, we all know that. Don't be a Pharisee. But interestingly enough, when we look at this text, Jesus, he's primarily speaking to those that are following him. 
See, if you look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, okay? And the next 36 verses are all rebuking the Pharisees. But he's speaking to the multitudes. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, it appears based on the way the Lord communicates that the Pharisees are here as well, and they're overhearing these things. But this message, once again, isn't primarily for the Pharisees. It's primarily for those that are following Jesus Christ. This message is for the church. Let's look what he says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 2. Speaking to the multitude, speaking to the disciples, Jesus says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So uh, he says that the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Now, Moses' seat was uh, basically a stone uh, throne, if you will. It was a stone chair that was placed in the synagogues. And it was specifically placed for the teachers, the authoritative teacher. And they would either sit there or stand there and they would communicate from this place. It was like a pulpit, okay? It was like a pulpit. It was just like a stone chair. Like imagine me like sitting in this throne. It'd be so weird, right? I would feel so uncomfortable. I'd have to stand. Like I can't talk unless I'm, I'm moving around. I don't know what would happen if I wasn't moving. Words just wouldn't come out. Uh, anyway, so they would sit in this thing called Moses' seat. That was the place for the teachers uh, to sit or stand at to communicate uh, the word of God. And he says they're sitting here at Moses's seat and, and they're doing something. They're teaching whatever they tell you to observe that observe and do, but do not do according to their works for they say and do not do. Jesus is saying, in other words, do as they say, but not as they do. And that's point number one. Do as they say, not as they do. Do as they say, not as they do. He's saying they're speaking truth, okay? Though they have some misinterpretations and are misled concerning many of the scriptures, they're communicating the word of God. So listen to the things that they're saying. Just don't follow their example. See, the Pharisees, though they were corrupt... They were the authority that God had placed in the disciples' life, in the people of Israel, all of their lives. This was the authority placed by God, and they're still teaching the word. So Jesus says, listen to what they have to say. Just because someone's a hypocrite doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen to what they have to say. And a lot of times we dismiss the truth from a hypocrite because they're a hypocrite. Jesus is saying, don't dismiss the truth from a hypocrite just because they're a hypocrite. If they're speaking the truth, receive the truth. See, in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says this, that, that all authority is placed by God and we're called to be subject to the governing authorities. Or in other words, we're called to be submissive to the uh, governing authorities. This doesn't mean that we have to like support them and root for them and cheer for them and all these different things. It simply means we're, we're called to, to submit to them. Unless they ask us to sin, we're called to do what they say. This also doesn't mean that every leader that God puts in power is a righteous leader. We know that that's not the case. But it does say that God puts authority in our lives for a specific purpose. And sometimes that purpose is to teach us what not to do. Sometimes he puts corrupt leaders in our life to teach us what not to do. Leaders aren't always there to teach us what to we what to do. In this case, we see those leaders are there to teach the disciples, the followers of Jesus, what not to do. 
I mention this book occasionally because I love it so much. It's called A Tale of Three Kings. Tale of Three Kings, uh, we see it's a very uh, easy read. Uh, it's basically like a, um, like a play. That's how it's written. It's awesome. It's very creative. Uh, but basically, it's the relationship between Saul, David, and Absalom. Absalom was David's son. But specifically in the relationship with Saul and David, we see this truth, and it's a biblical truth. Uh, one of the reasons why God had Saul in that position of authority over David, and much of it was to teach David what not to do, to teach him how not to lead, to kill the Saul, it says, inside of David, meaning there was character qualities in David that were like Saul that needed to go. And before David could become that leader, he had to learn how not to lead. And so often that's what God will do in our lives. He'll place bad examples in our life to teach us what not to do. He doesn't always just give us good examples. He'll give us bad examples as well. This is what the Lord is communicating to the disciples. Though the Pharisees aren't good examples, listen to what they have to say. Because what they're speaking is the truth. You ever have someone speak the truth to you, but you just don't like respect that person? Like they said something, you know it was true, but because you don't respect them, you dismiss what they had to say. Now, I'll tell you, there was a time uh, right after I came to the Lord when I was in the uh, ministry called Calvary House. And uh, basically, it, the ministry was extremely structured. We had to start doing our devotions by five o'clock and we had to do the year in the Bible thing. Uh, many of you probably know what the year in the Bible is. Uh, and there's different years in the uh, different years in the Bible. <laughs> there are different years in the Bible, uh, but there's different Bible in the years, uh, types of, of Bibles, if you will, different uh, like chronological technological ones and and how they organize it now the one that we were supposed to be reading basically went like this uh, you read a portion of genesis then a portion of matthew you'd read a psalm and a proverb okay and i'm new to the bible all right so i'm reading genesis and i'm like dude i want to know what happens next in genesis like why do i have to jump to matthew and then the psalms and then i'm like confused like can we just finish the story like i learned from hearing stories let me just finish the story so what i decided to do was stop reading the year in the bible thing and i started just reading what what i wanted to read i started finishing the stories i'm gonna read genesis i want to read all through genesis and then i'll do matthew whatever but this bouncing back and forth is confusing using me. So one morning, bright and early, a guy comes up to me who was an authority at the time. He had been there longer than me. Uh, and he asked me uh, about the, the, the reading of that day. And he said, uh, how did you like this? I forget what it was. And I was like, oh, I didn't read that. I read this. And he's like, why didn't you read that? We're supposed to be reading the same thing here in the Bible. And I explained myself. And he's like, well, still, you're 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 supposed to be reading this. Now, this guy was the worst example, okay? He was the worst. He never did anything right. He was always doing things wrong. He almost got kicked out several times. He got in fights in the ministry. I don't know why they allowed him to be here. So when he said it, I'm going, dude, you're talking to me about being a good example and doing the right thing? Like, you're the worst. This guy was the worst. And then later on, as I was cleaning floors in the church, I started thinking about I was hot. Like, I was so hot, so frustrated, and the Lord just ministered to my heart, was, what are you speaking true? Was he speaking truth? I'm like, yeah. So listen to him. It's like, 
dang, I don't want to listen to him. He's a hypocrite. Now, this is funny because this man actually became a very close friend of mine. He grew, I grew, we grew together. He was actually at my wedding. Uh, love him to death. But in that time, it was so frustrating. It's hard to listen to hypocrites. But Jesus is saying it doesn't matter whether they're hypocrites or not. If they're speaking the truth, listen to them. Do as they say, but don't do as they do. Look what happens in Matthew chapter 23. Verse 4, it says, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them in one of their, with one of their fingers. Basically, what Jesus is referring to is the law and the man-made tradition that the Pharisees and religious leaders developed. And they're basically pointing the finger and saying, you got to do this and you got to do that, but they weren't willing to do what they were saying. Point number two. The Pharisees laid burdens while Jesus bore burdens. The Pharisees laid burdens while Jesus bore burdens. The Pharisees were putting this unbearable weight on the people and saying, you have to live this certain way. You have to do these certain things or else you're not accepted or else you won't be saved. And Jesus, he he does the complete opposite. He bears our burdens. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Flip over a few pages. In Matthew 11, he says this, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you this heavy load. I'm not like making these crazy conditions up for you to come to me. Just come to me. If you're, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're bearing a burden that you simply can't bear, let me take it. That's what he's saying. Give it to me. And this yoke that he's talking about, he's specifically teaching, talking about his teachings. The yoke that the Lord puts on us is a, is a yoke of grace. It's not this heavy burden that we must bear. It's a privilege. It's an honor. He says, if you have a heavy load, if you're restless, then come to me. I will give you rest. And that's exactly what we see with the Lord. Working with Jesus, it it brings us rest. While the Pharisees, they bring restlessness. See, Jesus, he wants to teach us and wanted to teach the disciples by showing them, by giving them a good example. But the Pharisees would teach one thing, they would do another. They, they wouldn't, they wouldn't lead that good example. They wouldn't train their followers to do what they were communicating. They were just communicating what to do. The Pharisees were burden bringers. Jesus was a burden taker. The Pharisees weren't willing to do the things they taught, but Jesus taught by doing the things nobody else would. And see, that was the example that he set. And we'll see a direct contrast between Jesus and how he led versus the Pharisees and how they led. But we have to remember, it's not just about how he led. He's the way and we're calling to, we're called to lead the way that he led. We're called to live the way that he led. Just as Jesus bore our burdens, we're called to bear each other's burdens. That's exactly what it says in Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2, it 
says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear each other's burdens. We're called to be burden bearers, not burden givers. Not just dumping your stuff on on someone else. Not trying to hold people to a standard that you're not living by. We're called to bear one another's burdens. Now this is interesting. Because this tells us that our Christian walk isn't just about our relationship with God. Our Christian walk isn't just about our relationship with God. It's about other people's relationship with God as well. How much do you care about the person next to you, their relationship with the Lord? Now, many of you are sitting next to friends and and family members. It's like, yeah, of course, I care about my son. I care about my daughter. I care about my wife. I care about my husband. I care about my friend's relationship with the Lord. But I'm not just talking about them. Everybody in this room. How concerned are you about the relationships that people have in this room with the Lord? Do you care so much to bear their burdens? Do you care so much to do something about it? Do you care so much to say something when you see them going down the wrong path? Do you care so much to help them out, to pray for them, to talk to them when they're in need? Because Jesus, he was all about bearing the burdens. The Pharisees were all about giving them. And Jesus calls us to bear those burdens just as he bore burdens. Matthew chapter 23. Verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Okay, so phylacteries were these small leather boxes uh, that the Jewish men would wear for morning prayer. And some of you have probably seen pictures of these. It's really interesting. We'll talk about it a little more. Uh, but they'd wear them on their forehead and they'd wear them on their hand or their left arm. Okay, And, and basically these boxes had Hebrew scripture in them. And they take this, they get this from Deuteronomy chapter 11. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, we see where this was discussed. Verse 18, therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Look, the Lord's talking about internally. Lay these words up in you, your heart, your soul. That's internal. And bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Okay, there's controversy about what this actually means. Okay, were they really supposed to wear the scripture between their eyes? They do boxes right on their foreheads and on their arms. Or was the Lord speaking spiritually, meaning we're called to meditate on the word day and night. We're we're called to keep this in our mind and and get a good grasp of the word, have a handle on it, do something with it. I believe he was speaking spiritually. Regardless, Jesus is rebuking them. Because they make their phylacteries broad, back to Matthew chapter 23, and enlarge the borders of their garments. Before I explain, let's look at this in Scripture. In Numbers chapter 15, in Numbers chapter 15, verse 38, it says this. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy before your God. 
So we see these tassels that the Lord called the people to wear on their garments. So what? So why? So that they would remember the word of God. So that they would do what God was asking them to do. This was all so that the people could understand God's heart and walk in his word. But we see what the Pharisees are doing. Matthew chapter 23 verse 5. They make their phylacteries broad. Like the bigger box I got in my head the better. Like if I got a big box on my head and on my arm, like I'm super spiritual. It says he, they do these things to be seen by men. It says these, that they would enlarge the borders of their garments. If my garments are long, if my tassels are big, then I must be something super spiritual. See, it wasn't necessarily about what they were doing. It was why they were doing it. They were doing it to be seen by men. They were doing it to exalt themselves. Point number three, Jesus exalts God while the Pharisees exalt themselves. Jesus exalts God while the Pharisees exalt themselves. It's this difference between men-pleasing and God-pleasing. See, Jesus, he brings this up so many different times. And he there's almost a whole chapter, half of a chapter, Matthew chapter 6, dedicated to this specific thing. And he talks about charitable deeds. And he says, when you do charitable deeds, when you do good works, when you help people out, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't, don't do these things to appear spiritual so that people will thank you and you'll get all this affirmation. If that's your heart behind it, then your heart isn't in the right place. And he goes on to prayer and he says, don't, don't, Pray openly to get attention from men. And he uses the Pharisees, how they would stand on the corners and in the public places and pray so that everybody could hear them. Now, this isn't Jesus saying that we shouldn't pray publicly. That's not what he's saying. He's getting back to the heart of why we do the things that we do. Is my heart right with God? Am I praying with people publicly uh, because uh, I really want this certain thing to happen for this person? Is my heart sincere? Am I honoring God with my prayer? Or do I want people to just think I'm a certain way? And then he goes on to the fasting thing. And he says, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they would disfigure their faces. And they would want everyone to know that they were fasting. So people would think that they're super spiritual. And he says, don't do this. Do these things in secret. Now, to bring understanding, is it wrong for people to know that you're fasting? It's not wrong for people to know that you're fasting. It's wrong if you're trying to let everyone know that you're fasting because you want to appear spiritual. Okay, now I'll run into this and I would run into it all the time with certain people. And like they'd be fasting. I'm like, hey, you fasting? You want, you want me to pray for you? Like, yeah. no, no. And they'd lie about it. The Lord doesn't want us to lie about it. If we're, if we're fasting, be honest. That's not the Lord's heart. It's not that nobody should know when we're praying. Nobody should know when we're fasting. He's saying, do these things in secret. Or in other words, do these things with a sincere heart. Don't do these to be seen by men like the scribes and the Pharisees. Paul, who was a Pharisee, he says this. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Galatians 1 10, he says, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? If I still please men, I would no longer be a bondservant of Christ. A Pharisee that used to seek to please men recognizes I got to protect myself from this man-pleasing thing. I got to make sure everything that I'm doing 
is because I love the Lord and I love his people. It's not because I want people to think of me a certain way. It's not that I want people to look at me a certain way. I want to please the Lord. He's addressing the motivations behind what we, why we do what we do. And ask yourself, what are the motivations behind what you do? Specifically in regards to spiritual things. Whether it's praying, whether it's fasting, whether whether it's charitable deeds, whatever it is, is it to be seen like men, like the Pharisees, or is it out of sincerity of heart because you love the Lord? See, Jesus, he wasn't trying to make a name for himself in his ministry on earth. He was simply exalting the name of God. We see in John chapter 7, I'll tell you the story. In John chapter 7, the Lord's brothers, Jesus' brothers, who didn't believe in him at the time, they were like, hey, 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 bro, come up with me to the Feast of Tabernacles. Come up with us. Why? Because he'd been doing all these miracles and he'd been teaching with power and he had this great following. He's like, don't you want to be known by the people? They were trying to piggyback off his fame. So they wanted to, every man had to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles. So they knew he had to go eventually. They're like, come up with us so we can piggyback off this. We want to get famous with you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's not my hour. That's not my purpose. That's not my intention. Though Jesus had a massive following, he wasn't doing things so people would follow him in the sense just for following him or to exalt his name. He was doing everything he did to glorify the Father. He did everything he did to exalt the name of God. And he asks us to do the same. Let me show you in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17... Verse 10, this is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, and all mine are yours. All, all that are the Jesus is are, are, are the Father's and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. We're called to glorify the Lord. He's going to get into this exalting self thing uh, in, in a few scriptures here in Matthew chapter 23. But the point is, When we do what we do, we should do it for the glory of God, to exalt the name of God, not to be seen by men, not to make a name for ourselves. He rebukes the Pharisees for this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 6, it says, They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and he and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now we have to understand what the Lord is communicating here. The scribes and Pharisees, they were out for position. They were out for spiritual titles. That was their pursuit. They weren't pursuing God. They were pursuing the title scribe, pursuing the title Pharisee, pursuing the title spiritual leader. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't pursue spiritual titles. That that's not the way that we go about things. That's not sincere spiritual leadership. And he says, don't let, don't, don't, uh, do not call anyone on earth your father. Does that mean you can't call your father your father? <laughs> no, that's not what he's getting at. As well with the rabbi and the teacher thing. Again, he's addressing that, uh, false pursuit of spirituality, that, that title, that name. Don't pursue this 
spiritual title. Don't, don't, don't be out for uh, position and, and prominence and, and gain and all these different things. He's getting to the heart of what the Pharisees did and he's trying to present, prevent the disciples, his followers, from sharing that same heart. Now we see later in scripture, Paul is referred to as father. He, re- he refers to himself as father. He refers to the church as his children. He also refers to himself as a preacher and as a teacher. So we know that the Lord isn't saying, don't be called teacher. Don't be called rabbi. Don't be, don't pursue those things. That's what he's getting at. Don't pursue these spiritual titles. Don't say, man, I want to, I want to become this position. I want to exalt myself and pursue this spiritual title. They're saying, no, no, don't pursue those things. Pursue me. God is your father. Jesus Christ is your teacher. He's getting back to the motivations and, and, and why they were pursuing these things. And look what he says, verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. If you're going to pursue a name for yourself, if you're going to pursue a title, pursue the name servant. Pursue the name slave. That's what Jesus is getting at. If you want to make a name for yourself, this is the name that you should make for yourself. Make the name bondservant. Make the name slave. Make the name servant. Why? Because a slave isn't trying to exalt himself. A slave is humble. A slave simply does and only does what his master asks him to do. And he does it without hesitation. He doesn't do it for affirmation. He's not seeking attention. He does it because that's who he is. That's his identity, a slave, a bondservant. And you hear the apostles refer to themselves as that. Why? Because they knew what Jesus was getting at. Don't pursue the name pastor, teacher, all these different. Pursue the name bondservant, slave. And if people call you these other things, that's okay. But don't pursue these things. Pursue the name that I've given you. Pursue the name servant. And he says in verse 12, And whoever exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself and allow the Lord to exalt you. Naturally, the tendency is to want to get credit for the things that we do. I did this special thing for my wife or for my husband or for my child or for the church. And I want recognition I want to get notice. I, I need affirmation for that. I want people to see what I did. The Lord says, don't do that. Don't exalt your name. Allow the Lord to exalt your name. Do those things in secret and watch the Lord reward you openly. He goes on. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 23. So from verses 13 to 36. This is very interesting. In the beginning, towards the beginning of the Lord's ministry, uh, we see in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, this lengthy uh, sermon, which is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, And in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he communicates the Beatitudes. Okay? The Beatitudes, Beatitudes literally means the blessings. Okay, These are the blessings of the citizens of heaven. This is kingdom living and what it's supposed to look like. That's the Lord's point in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, he starts off with the Beatitudes. But what we're going to see here in these next 20 plus verses is this direct contrast between the Beatitudes and these woes to the Pharisees. Okay, There's going to be eight Pharisee woes and you'll understand as we explain it. Basically, towards the beginning of his ministry, he's saying, this is what I I want you to do. This is what kingdom living looks like. And right here he's saying, this is what kingdom living doesn't look like. This is what it shouldn't look like. 
Okay, so he has these uh, eight Pharisee woes. We're not going to have a point for each one. We're going to do one point for the rest of the teaching, okay? This is it. Point number four, Beatitudes are better than bad attitudes, okay? Beatitudes are better than bad attitudes. Let's look at the first one, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. He's saying, you're shutting off the kingdom. You're shutting off eternity. Why? Because they were putting these heavy burdens on the people. You have to follow our tradition. You have to follow our law. If you don't follow these things to a T, you are not entering the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you don't follow the laws perfectly, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But what did Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not about them bearing this heavy burden. It's about them recognizing that Jesus Christ is the only one that can bear that burden. It's that recognition that I'm poor in spirit. There's something lacking in my spirit, which points me to my need for a savior in the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord opened the door for anyone and everyone who wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven. All you have to admit that you're poor in spirit and you need me. And you come to me and now you're able to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were preventing people from entering the kingdom. And he says they aren't entering themselves either. Matthew chapter 23, verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So the Pharisees would devour widows' houses. What does that mean? It would be like this. Now, let's uh, just get a little brief cultural reminder. Women in that day, they weren't making a living for themselves. It wasn't like how it is today. They didn't have the opportunities that we had today. So if a woman lost her husband, she was in trouble. She, she was in big trouble if she didn't have the next brother to marry or whoever financially, she would have an extremely difficult time providing for herself. So this is what the Pharisees and religious leaders would do. When a woman lost her husband, the Pharisees would go to the widow and say, hey, this big property that you have, this farm and all this land, we don't want you to bear this burden. Let us take it off your hands. We'll give you a nice quaint home, you know, away from all this stuff. You'll have just a little place. You don't have to worry about this big stuff. And they would literally deceive these women and take their houses and their property and give them something less than what they already had. They were devouring uh, widows' houses. They were taking advantage of them. In the midst of these women mourning, they would take advantage of them. But what does Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Lord, he comforts those who are mourning, where the Pharisees, they took advantage of those who were mourning. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So a proselyte was a Jewish convert, a convert in general, specifically in the text, a Jewish convert. And he's saying, hey, you guys got a lot of zeal. You're willing to travel by land, by sea to make converts. But what are you converting? You're making, you're making, you're producing, you're raising up sons of hell. See, people of different faiths might be successful in converting people, 
But what are they converting them into? When you look at uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons, when you look at their zeal and their passion, honestly, it's, it's, it's impressive what they're willing to do. Going house to house, talking to people, sharing their faith constantly. They were, are willing to travel land and sea, but what are they producing? See, what they teach is a different gospel. Why? Because the Christ they preach is a different Christ. And in Galatians chapter 1, it says this. Paul, speaking to the church in Galatia, he says, If you receive any other gospel other than the gospel that we preach to you, even if by an angel, let that man be accursed. Let that man be accursed. Why? Because that man is raising up people that are like this, sons of hell, that are going to hell if they believe in a different gospel. Now, you got to remember the Pharisees, just as Jesus rebukes them for raising up sons of hell, we got to remember their character qualities. Primarily, they were prideful. They were so prideful in what they thought they knew. So what they're producing is prideful proselytes. They're producing prideful people that think they got it figured out and they're on their way to hell. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. His followers are called to be meek, not prideful. Meek, that's power or strength under control. Uh, another form of humility, if you will. My followers, they better be humble. They better be meek. This pride thing, that's not going to work. The pride thing was a Pharisee thing. That's not a Jesus thing. Jesus is trying to raise up Meek followers that, that communicate in meekness, that communicate in love and in humility. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense in every, uh, sorry, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Don't come off like you know everything. Come off with a spirit of meekness, a spirit of fear, a spirit of love. See, it's not just about what we communicate, but how we communicate it. If the people we share the gospel with don't see love and humility, then they don't see Jesus. They see something different. It's just knowledge. And 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge, it, it makes you prideful. And it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to pursue knowledge, but in our pursuit of knowledge, it better be attached to love or it isn't from the Lord. And if we're communicating knowledge, that better be attached to love or it's all for nothing. Share two quick stories. There was a time uh, when I had this great opportunity to drive all the way from Florida to North Carolina with my grandfather to work on this house that my dad bought. And my grandfather, um, not a believer, uh, my dad was like trying to set this thing up so I could like minister to him. And I tried in the past with uh, no success or little success. And uh, basically, uh, I'm sharing the, the gospel with him. I'm explaining things. I'm answering some uh, hard questions that he had. And then he brings up Catholicism. And his girlfriend's uh, Catholic. And I messed up. I started communicating these things that I know about Catholicism. Like not praying to the saints and all these different things. And Mother Mary and the position that she holds in that faith. And so I start talking about the stuff that I know. And his demeanor, shut off. He wasn't hearing me anymore. Why? Because I was puffed up on knowledge. And it wasn't attached to love. 
And the Lord spoke to me about it the next day. Don't get in these divisions and disputes about these things that aren't as important. Focus on the big thing, the love of Jesus. Now, I learned my lesson from that. And since then, I try my best to communicate with meekness and love, especially when I'm sharing the gospel with unbelievers. And thankfully, I got a redemption opportunity. A little while later, uh, there was these guys in Fort Lauderdale that I'd always see at the gym, and they were all in recovery. Uh, and because I can relate to that background... I would do everything I could to have conversations with them. Like, hey, you need a spot? Like, hey, and I'd have these conversations. Uh, I'd have the opportunity to share the gospel. And always thinking, I want to do this in meekness and in love. After a few months, these guys, 10 of them, came to our Easter service and they all got saved. And I know it wasn't because of the knowledge. It was because of the character by which the knowledge was shared. And that's so important for us because what we communicate and how we communicate it, it spreads. What these Pharisees were producing is prideful proselytes. Are you a prideful proselyte or a meek Christian, a meek disciple? The Lord, he calls us to be meek. The meek will inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 23, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So basically what the Pharisees established uh, was this way to not... Um, Communicate the Lord's name in vain, okay? So the third commandment in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, is not to take the Lord or use the Lord's name in vain. So what the Pharisees did was they came out with an elaborate system of oaths, which some of them were binding and some of them weren't binding. Hence, if I promise by the gift on the altar, I got to keep that promise. But if I promise by the altar, I don't have to keep that promise. Literally, this is what they were doing. Crossing their fingers, if you will, putting them behind their back. If my fingers are crossed, I don't have to keep this promise. But if they're uncrossed, I have to keep it. That's literally what they did. They established this elaborate system of oaths. If I swear by the gold in the temple, I got to keep that, that promise. But if I swear by the temple, I don't, I'm not obliged to keep that promise. They were, they came up with this, this system so that they could deceive the people and take advantage of the people. Well, I swore by the temple, so I don't have to keep that promise to you. So I'm just going to take advantage of you. They did these things for their own selfish gain. That's what they hungered for. Selfishness. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled Pharisees, they hungered and thirsted for selfishness and it left them empty as Jesus will address later. But he calls us, he calls his followers to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This was a ridiculous system that they established. How can you justify not fulfilling a promise based on the subject that you made the promise on? 
Because I made it on this, it doesn't count. Because I had my fingers crossed, I don't have to keep this promise. But look what Jesus says. I'll reread it. Matthew chapter 23, verse 21. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. So Jesus is making it clear. If you're swearing by the temple, you're swearing by God. Okay, and then he says in verse 22. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. When you're making an oath to a person, you're making an oath under God. Every promise you make is binding. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. If you flip back a few pages, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, he says this. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You don't have to promise by anything. Your yes should be yes and your no should be no. You ever say, I'm being honest or, or honestly, let me tell you. Like for real, this is the truth. Why do you have to say that? If I say honestly, on, like honestly, that means what? The other times I was a liar? Like I'm such a deceptive person that I have to put the honest word in there so that you believe what I'm saying this time. It's crazy, but we do it by habit. No, truthfully. It's like truthfully, wait. Does that mean I can't count on anything that you said before that? Those things weren't truthfully. The Lord's saying, don't add to anything. Don't add to your yes. Don't add to your no. Just say yes or no and keep your word. Be a person that follows through with the things that you say because every promise you make is binding. Has nothing to do with what you... He says, that's from the evil one. When you have to say honestly, and I do this, so I'm guilty. When you have to say truthfully, when you have to put the promise on something, some character quality or some object or some person or some being, he says that's from the evil one. Don't do that. There's no reason to do that. Just be honest and follow through with the things that you say. Do you keep your word? Do you deliver on your promises? Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind, gu- blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Okay, A gnat was the smallest unclean animal according to Leviticus. Okay, And, and, and the camel was the largest unclean animal according to Leviticus. So basically what he's saying is you're focused on the gnats, but you're missing the camels. You're focused on these little things, tithing your spices, but you've neglected the bigger things. You've neglected faith. You've neglected love. You've neglected mercy. In fact, you're being very critical. You're being very judgmental about the people that you're called to love. You have no mercy on them. Therefore, you will not receive mercy. Why? Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you're not merciful, does that mean you won't obtain mercy? Maybe. That doesn't mean necessarily that God's forgiveness, His love, and mercy is conditional. Okay? But it does mean this. If you don't extend mercy, if you don't extend love, then you should have a question as to whether or not you've received it yourself. Because if we've truly received the forgiveness and mercy and love of God, we can't help but extend it. 
It's natural. And I'm not saying that we never mess up and we, we don't have times where we need to forgive someone or have mercy on someone. But if we're constantly holding judgment and criticism on people, then that means maybe we haven't experienced the mercy that the Bible talks about. He says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. If you've received my mercy, you're going to extend my mercy. It's a natural response to receiving the mercy and forgiveness from God. The Pharisees, they weren't extending mercy. They weren't extending love. They neglected the weightier matters of the law, the big things that the Lord is trying to get across. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Are you merciful? Are you forgiving? Is there someone that you haven't forgiven? Is there someone that you didn't extend mercy to? He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The Pharisees weren't merciful. They were not loving. They were not forgiving. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. They were focused on the outward appearance, but they weren't focused on the inward appearance. Look what he says in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you will also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, he's addressing their external expression of spirituality, but it's, it's bankrupt. It's all for nothing. They're whitewashed tombs. Like literally, it looks beautiful on the outside, but you open up that tomb and what do you got? Dead man's bones. It's a dead man inside. He's saying you are dead inside. You are not alive because you don't have the life of Christ. That's what he's communicating to them. They have this outward appearance of godliness but are extremely dead and ugly on the inside. It's this idea of putting up a spiritual front, trying to appear like I'm something that I'm not. I look this way and I might look clean cut and I might look spiritual and you might see me pray, you might see me do all these things, but inside, dead man's bones. That's what he's getting across. You look the part, but your heart is not the part. We see in the last days, there's going to be more and more of this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he's speaking of, of, of the end of time in the last days. As we get closer, these are going to be some of the people that continue to... Um, be produced and developed. If you look at Second Timothy chapter three, verse five, speaking of this type of person having a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turn away. There's a form of godliness. It looks godly, but it's not sincere. It's not genuine. It's not internalized. There's no power behind it because they're missing the power of the Holy Spirit. Now he says for of this sort, verse six, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. They appear spiritual, but they're just taking advantage of people. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always learning. They're always getting puffed up on knowledge. They might even study theology. They might study the Bible. They might have a good grasp of it. But they're always coming to knowledge 
never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus is the truth, meaning never coming to a sincere relationship with God because we know every man's heart is dead on the inside. Every man's heart is corrupt until, until the truth comes into our life, until Jesus Christ comes into our life and he brings us to life. There is no life without the life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have life. We're dead men walking. They look spiritual, but they aren't spiritual. Remember, just as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he cursed the fig tree. We talked about this uh, a while back, but remember the fig tree, uh, it appeared to have fruit, right? The fruit came before the leaves. So when Jesus saw the leaves on the tree, he, he was expecting fruit. And what did he find? Nothing. So he cursed that fig tree and it withered. Right? And the disciples were like, why are you harming the tree? That's probably what they were thinking. I don't know. But the point was, it wasn't about cursing the tree. He was making this point regarding Israel, specifically their leaders. They appear to have fruit. They appear to be spiritual, but they're not. It's all show and no fruit. And the Lord, he, he won't stand for that. So he rebukes the Pharisees to the disciples, to his followers. These Pharisees, They weren't producing fruit because they were dead inside. They didn't have a sincere relationship with God. And ultimately, they couldn't see God because their hearts were dead. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Pharisees' hearts were dead inside. There was nothing nothing there of, of substance. He says the, the follower, the citizen of heaven, the disciples, the multitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If our spirituality is sincere, if it's internal, before it doesn't matter what we look like. It's not about the external expression. It's about the inside. If the inside, if the heart is right, then we'll see God. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to show up in your living room or Hopefully not your bathroom or maybe your bedroom. I'm not saying that necessarily. It could happen. I wouldn't put it past him. But he's talking about seeing God work in your life. You're going to see him moving in your life. There's going to be certain prayers that are answered. You're going to see evidence of him. You're going to see things changing around you. You're going to feel things changing inside of you. The pure in heart, they will see God working in their lives. The dead inside, the dead in heart, they're going to miss God. They're not going to see God. God is speaking to them and they're missing it. Why? Because they're not pure in heart. They're dead on the inside. Matthew chapter 23, verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? So we see he's directing this towards the Pharisees specifically. That's why we know they're around. Message is mainly for the multitudes and the disciples, but he's talking to them this time. It's very clear in the communication. And he says, uh, you say that you're not like your fathers who have killed the prophets from the beginning. You say you're not like them. 
But time's going to tell that you are exactly like them. Why? Because they're going to kill Jesus. And then they're going to kill his apostles. They carry the same heart. They share the same blood, if you will, as their fathers before them. See, the Pharisees, we can see this characteristic in them already. Even in the last few weeks, they're constantly plotting against Jesus. They're constantly trying to come against God. War is in their hearts. They are hungry for blood and war. Jesus is saying, you're portraying the same character as your fathers before you who killed the prophets. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. The Pharisees, they're hungry for blood and war and plotting and confrontation. But Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God seek peace. They don't seek confrontation. They don't seek conflict. Not that confrontation and certain conflicts uh, aren't bad. We, there are times where we're supposed to confront our brother and sister in, uh, in sin, but their confrontation was all about exalting themselves. Jesus threatened their positions. He threatened their power. He threatened their authority. And they were not willing to lose that. In fact, they were willing to kill Jesus to keep it. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. True sons of God pursue peace. The Pharisees were out for blood. They were out for war. Matthew chapter 23, verse 34. Again, he calls them brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Meaning, you're of your father the devil. He says that in another text. You share, uh, that's who your father is. It's not father God, because that's the character that you imitate. Verse 34, therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. He's prophesying. This is what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do because I'm God, basically is what he's saying. But also, this is the character that you've already been bearing. Inevitably, you're going to persecute the apostles. Verse 35, that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Basically, he's saying, you share the same DNA, the same heart as your fathers before you, from the beginning with Cain and Abel. He's saying Abel was the first prophet that was killed, if you will, that was persecuted. Remember, Abel, he'd offered a sacrifice that was honorable to God. God honored that sacrifice, but Cain's sacrifice he didn't honor. Now, Cain, we know, got jealous of his brother, and he ultimately killed him. And it says in Genesis 4 that Abel's blood cried out to the Lord. As if, hey, I I want vengeance for the blood that was spilled because it was innocent blood. He says, from Abel to Zechariah. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, it's called the Tanakh, okay? It's the same uh, words, the same Old Testament that we have in our Old Testament. It's just divided differently, okay? And, and things are in a different order, but it's the same books that we have in our Old Testament. That's important to know. Uh, but it, it, because it's in a different order, the last book in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Old Testament, if you will, uh, is Second Chronicles. And Zechariah, in their Tanakh, in their Bible, is the last prophet that's killed. And he's killed between the, uh, between the altar. 
Now, Jesus is saying, in other words, you've killed the prophets from A to Z. You've killed them from the beginning to the end. Throughout your scriptures, from the beginning to the end of your scriptures, you have this habit, this character flaw, this problem of killing the authority that God sent to you to help you. You continue to kill the authority. Why? You don't want to know the truth. And you want to maintain your own position of authority. And you want to be the God of your lives. And you're not listening to the people that God sent to help you live for him. And he says, Matthew chapter 23, verse 36. That's where we'll close. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He's saying judgment will come upon this generation. These Pharisees, these religious leaders will be judged for the blood of the saints. Now, when you look at this, this is a serious warning to the Pharisees, all of this. But remember, it says in the beginning that he was speaking to his disciples and he was speaking to the multitudes. This is just as much for the church as it was for the Pharisee. This is a warning for the church. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't get prideful. Don't get puffed up. Don't get selfish. Don't think that you know everything. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. And Jesus rebuked them time and time again. If you look at this text and there was something that came up, a character flaw that you identify with, kill that thing. The Lord says those that bear those character qualities are going to bring judgment on themselves on some level. Now that doesn't mean if you have a bad character quality, God's going to eternally condemn you. But we know he's a good father and he disciplines the sons and daughters that he loves. But he'd rather us just walk in, in righteousness, walk in peace, walk in love, walk in joy. You don't come to church to become a Pharisee. You come to church to become a disciple. That's what the Lord's trying to teach us. Hey, this is what I don't want you to become. Become like this, the Beatitudes. Become like uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Don't become like these Pharisee woes. It's a huge warning, not just for them, but for us today. Why? Because you see these characteristics come up in the church all the time. It seems that the longer someone walks in the Lord, generally speaking, the more and more like a Pharisee they become. And the Lord said, hey, 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 I want to check you on this. I want to challenge you on this. If you have these character qualities in you, they need to die because that's not what my followers are called to bear. I warn them not to bear these character qualities. Don't let your knowledge dictate your identity. Let your love for Jesus, your relationship with him dictate your identity. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is like the cure to the Pharisee thing, right? Love is the very thing that we need to combat that character quality or those character qualities that try to uh, build themselves up and produce themselves uh, in our lives. Love never fails. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this challenging text, God, and um, I thank you that we have it so that we can see uh, what not to become, Lord. And I, and I know um, that there's areas I, I, that you communicate here that we have a tendency to become and to portray, Lord. And I just pray that you would kill those things in us, that we would give them to you, that we would be known for our love. We wouldn't be known for uh, pride and, 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 and selfishness and, uh, and, and knowledge and, and all these different things, Lord. But... Um, you would just expose the things in, in our heart that need to be exposed, that we could change them, become more like you. We take this warning seriously, Lord, because we know you have it for us for our own good. In Jesus' name, amen.